0: Thank you, as always, for listening to Honest Offense. Today, I'm honored to be joined by my good friend, Dave Rubin. Dave is a 25-year veteran of the fitness industry. His owned Courage Fitness Durham, formerly CrossFit Durham, which that's a whole separate podcast. I'm going to try to talk to Greg Glassman. I want to hear his side of the, of the whole CrossFit uh, drama, but that's a separate podcast. Dave's <laughs> own Courage Fitness Durham, which is a functional group fitness and personal training gym in Durham, North Carolina, since 2008. And the gym has managed to survive through one of the strictest lockdowns in the country. Uh, Dave, it's been a while. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. This is exciting.
0: Yes, yeah, for me too. So I, I want to start. I'm I'm always curious about how people grew up and and how that shaped what they do as adults. So I know you grew oh, up in 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 New York, right?
1: Yep, I did. Uh, suburbs in New York City, Westchester County. Okay. Um, my parents were both uh, school teachers, actually. Um, and my, uh, step parents were actually school teachers as well. So my, my whole family, all of everyone who, uh, played a part in raising me, excuse me, was, uh, teachers eventually even became administrators. My mom retired as a principal, my stepdad retired as a superintendent of schools. Um, and they're all retired now, you know, living, living off, uh, their pensions, which are, you know, pretty sweet out of, uh, New York city.
0: Yeah, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, did you play sports growing up?
1: I did, you know, like typical, I mean, I was a huge, huge, huge Yankees fan. Baseball has been my, you know, was my sport from pretty much the time I can remember. My mom grew up about a block away from Yankee stadium. So we always say it's basically in my blood. Um, So I played baseball growing up, you know, nothing super serious, but played into high school. I didn't even finish playing through high school. I wrestled a little bit in high school Um, and then. And when I went to college, uh, I went to GW down in D.C., um, I had gotten into exercise back in high school, um, working out in my garage and stuff. And in college, I discovered uh, co-ed cheerleading in college. So I was actually a cheerleader in college, uh, which was sort of a way to you know, put some of that exercise and uh, n- you know newfound fitness and muscle to use. We thought that was a, pr- a pretty fun activity.
0: That's right. I forgot you were yeah. cheerlead. So did you do competitions yep. in college for that?
1: uh we did uh well i I was a cheerleader for three years in college um we did compete you know at the national competitions um each year so i got to go down to disney world and and do that that was very exciting um and something to do but that was that was the time of my life i mean that pretty much made my college experience
0: yeah you don't realize how intense it is i watched that netflix documentary cheer which was incredible did you watch that i watched i
1: had to watch it um (laughs) i I only wish, I mean, I graduated college in 98, so the sport of cheerleading even has evolved a lot in those last, you know, almost 25 years. Um, I only could dream of doing the things that those kids were doing, but we had a good time. I mean, we definitely did the partner stunts and we had girls flipping around, just yeah. just not to the extent that they're they're doing now.
0: Sure, sure. It's always like every generation has to step it up and everything. Oh, yeah,
1: That's funny. And always, always. They take more <laughs> risks, they get more yeah. athletic. I mean, I wish I knew what I knew, what I know now about fitness. I wish I knew it back then I would have been that yeah. much better at cheerleader. Yeah. So I
0: remember in high school, we did our I don't know if you guys did like a powder puff game where the girls played football and the boys were the cheerleaders. Sure. And so sure. I was one of the cheerleaders. And because I was always <laughs> I was the smallest kid, they wanted me to like be on top of the pyramid. And they wanted to I, me around.
1: I it was, was like- one of the smaller guys on my cheerleading squad in college. Um, light, you know, one of the lighter guys. And uh, so there was a couple of pyramids that we had where basically I was requ- I was the one who had to go up because yeah. we would basically have a couple guys as a base. I would be the middle level, and then I would have a girl up over over top of me. It was not my favorite thing at all, <laughs> and that was only you know being four feet or so off the ground. Right. I, the, I don't know how the girls do it. It's amazing.
0: Right. It's and and at do. least, at least your guys were trained. My guys are just a bunch of idiots. Well, were that's true too. Yep. Were drinking beforehand. So <laughs> I was like, all right, I, I got to like draw the line here and, and not do this too crazy. Yeah. That, it was a fun experience just doing that the one time. Yeah.
1: Well, like I said, it was the best, probably the best part of my whole college experience. I mean, it, we traveled, we went to Hawaii, we traveled in certain places around the country. I mean, it pretty much made my college experience. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So when you were in college, were you thinking about training as a career?
1: Yeah, not initially. I went to school initially to study uh, international affairs and went on an Army ROTC scholarship. But oh, I know a- yeah, after a couple years, or not even a couple years, a couple semesters, I just had a different outlook and a different track of where I wanted to go. So um, actually, I I had been into exercise since probably junior high school, Um, you know, muscle magazines, and I I worked in my first health club back in high school, you know, front desk, and even worked on the personal training floor a little bit. And I was flipping through the course book, just trying to figure out, okay, what can I do? Here I am at this great university, it costs, you know, 10s of 1000s of dollars a year, what what am I going to do? So I'm flipping through the course book. <clears throat> I didn't even realize it was a thing. And I got to the sciences section and I see exercise science. And I was like, holy crap, I didn't even realize that's even a thing. Yeah. So all in, all in. So I I dove all into that starting my sophomore year of college. I got a degree in exercise science. I actually started to do a graduate program, two different graduate programs actually related. I didn't finish either one, um, mainly because I had started – uh my work career after uh undergrad working for uh, big globo gym uh gold's gym chain and i realized pretty soon on that to stay in the industry and do what i wanted to do in the industry i really didn't need an advanced degree so i didn't really see the point in pursuing it at least from a career standpoint um but that's basically how I how I found it. So I did foresee a, a, a career in it at that point. It wasn't necessarily to be a, a coach or a trainer. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I wanted to own the business. You know, originally, my original dream was to own a big mega gym, you know, Gold's Gym style, tens of thousands of square feet, thousands of members. Um, and then that sort of evolved over the years as I got more and more into the industry and kind of figured out where I really wanted to focus and what type of people I wanted to be able to help and service and and so on.
0: Yeah, and I remember, I think we had this conversation before that you, the the Gold Gym you had worked at was the one that was just north of GW's campus, right?
1: Yeah, there was a chain in in the DC market. I was fortunate enough to link up with them uh, before I graduated college, I think after my junior year of college. And um, fortunately, that uh, gym ownership group uh was a big group powerful group <clears throat> they actually eventually ended up buying the whole gold's gym chain they bought the franchise organization the mecca gym out in uh venice beach um so i was there at the right place at the right time i'm still in touch with a lot of those guys hope you know they'll they'll hear us talking on this today the, they all made my career i mean they all we all were kind of forging fire together um and they're all doing great things now most still in the fitness industry but some have moved on to other areas but really lucky to be there at that time the those franchise owners have since left that brand and created their own brand and you know they have they're still in the fitness industry just killing it
0: yeah that's you you see that in a lot of industries that when when someone's running a business really really well you see the guys that he trained then go off and do their own things because they had that that experience yeah. and that leadership that that taught them how to succeed. And it, it's yeah. probably cool to be one of the people at the top to watch the people under you go and, and find their own success.
1: It was, it, it ha- I would hope it is for those guys. Um, you know, back in the day, again, I'm going back 20, 1997 or so. And there was guys who, had al- who were older than me who were already there. Um, and the owners of the company at the time were were young, aggressive guys. Two brothers, actually. They're still now aggressive. Uh, they're not quite as young, but they had this just crop of you know young gun guys um, and and girls. There was women in our group too who are still you know in in our our uh, old school. Uh, discussions and whatnot and uh, again it was kind of right place at the right time but they were brash and aggressive and it was the late 90s gold's gym was like this huge name there weren't all these crossfit hadn't come around yet and and kind of changed the fitness industry and again all those guys are out there doing you know crazy good things
0: yeah so you know gold's gym got popular with with pumping iron and arnold schwarzenegger so that was like late 70s and so i guess like the 80s and 90s you had like you know kind of the the step aerobics and like that some of the at-home stuff but i guess as far as like yeah. physical gyms went i guess there really was there much competition for golds back then
1: um i mean in the dc market um yeah. golds really kind of ran the show there was uh at the time washington sports club which is similar to New York Sports Club, Boston Sports Club, Philadelphia, you know, that town sports international. Um, They were the only other real player in the market there in in Northern Virginia and DC. There was a couple just local uh, gyms as well, but Gold's really ran the show. I mean, that's where young, the, the young people went, the fit people, the serious people went. I ran and my first gym actually was on Capitol Hill. Um, so my gym was basically full of Capitol Hill staffers and, uh, small business administration, Lockheed Martin, NASA, all, all these staffers and contractors. It was really kind of interesting, especially in light of, you know, today's world and today's politics. I can only imagine what that gym is like now, uh, running it. Cause we had everybody coming in there, you know, yeah. and it's, it's funny now I'll, I'll be on, I'll see on TV or Twitter and I'm like. I think I recognize that person (laughs) from 20 years ago checking in at the front desk. And at the time they were like a young staffer. uh, And now they're the, you know, press secretary or something like that for somebody. I'm like, Oh, that's pretty cool. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's funny because I was in DC for a few years and and it's been a few years since I've been there. But at least when I was there, I don't know if 2016 kind of changed everything because it seemed like it changed everything in a lot of ways. But when I was there, like if you went out to a happy hour or something, you did not discuss politics because Mm -hmm. everyone was involved in politics and you know that people are going to be on opposite sides. So it was like, in DC, when you were off work, people just did not want to bring up anything about work. And so it almost like yeah. you got along better in DC than you would other places. Now yeah. today, well, you know, maybe it's different, but
1: well, for us again, in that gym back in the day, um, again, I was there really from 97 through 2005 primarily. Uh, and then I moved up to New York city, but in that era, um, yeah, the gym was an escape for the most yeah. part. I mean, it, it, as it should be, the gym was a refuge. It was a place for people to go and show off and look good or you know uh, you know have the camaraderie and just mess around, but be away from work. yeah um, the the schedules were a little different. you know the t- our timing there was different just because of the work the work hours of that area. But it was not political at all. At certain points in time, um, you know, around election time or something like that, every now and then we would get some feedback about, oh, what TV channels were on. You know, This is back in the early days of Fox News and things like that. But I, again, uh, nothing I don't think like, like now. Um, I was there on, at the gym on Capitol Hill. It was actually the first week I became a general manager it was 9-11. Um, wow. I was at my very first general manager's meeting the morning of 9-11, so I wasn't in the gym. I was with all these guys that I was I was talking about earlier. Uh, we still all kind of reconnect on 9-11 every year just because we were all there going through that together. Um, but my gym was on Capitol Hill. Um, we had considerations. We had to make that day. What are we going to do? I know we, we had staff and members freaking out that morning because – we were potentially within, uh, you know, yeah. a, a zone of of danger. It was really pretty, pretty crazy. But again, that's where I made my bones. That's where I kind of came up. So,
0: uh, so I'm curious about about nine eleven. So mm-hmm. when when you know the first tower got hit, and you know, then the Pentagon got hit, and then there was there's yeah. flight 93. And I actually, I was in school less than an hour from where flight 93 landed. Did you guys? What did you What did you do on that day? Like, did you shut sure. the gym down? What,
1: Oh, yeah. So, well, I'll give you the short version, but just real quick. So I grew up in Westchester up in New York. Um, on nine 11, I ran a gym on Capitol Hill. I actually lived within, I drove past the Pentagon every day to get to work. So I lived within what I now call smelling distance because I could smell the Pentagon uh, burning that day. And for weeks after you could smell the smolder. Um, and then in 2005, I moved up to New York city to work. Uh, My wife uh, was doing her medical residency. So we moved to New York city. And the gym that I ran while I lived in New York City for three years was down on John Street, which meant I had to get off at basically Ground Zero every day. So, and when I did that every day, I would get off at the uh, subway station and I'd walk three or four blocks to the gym. And walking even then in 2005 to 2008, the ground was still covered in in soot. So 9/11 for me is like every. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely part of me and a lot of the people I grew up with. Um, But going back on that day, we were all out at a a manager's meeting first one. And I remember at the very start of the meeting, the meeting started at eight o'clock that morning, started a little bit late. And I remember somebody as we were kind of getting ready to start, but just kind of bullshitting with each other. Hey, did you hear about a plane or something hit hit the World Trade Center this morning? and at that that was the point when everybody just thought it was some little commuter plane or whatever. Right. So we started the meeting and again, maybe what, 45 minutes or so into the meeting, somebody, we maybe broke or somebody broke into the meeting and said, "Hey, another plane just hit the ta- uh, the towers and something more's going on." At that point the meeting kind of broke. Uh, because everyone was like, what, what's going on? Now, again, this is in, what, 2001? Yeah. We didn't all have cell phones, <laughs> the TVs, and all this stuff. So we're in an office out in uh, Maryfield, Virginia, maybe 15 miles outside of the city. Again, a few minutes later, now we're seeing reports. Our human resources director, from her window, looked out, uh, I guess would have looked east and c- towards the city. Couldn't see the city, but that's where her window view was. And the report of the Pentagon getting hit by the plane comes in and from her window, you could see the plume of smoke. Uh, well then all the days, now the meetings broke The days over. Now we're starting to get phone calls. Uh, we had three gyms in the city at that point and a couple right outside and then the others a little bit further outside. So I'm getting calls from the gym from my brand new assistant general manager who was even younger than me. I was young too. I was only 24. Uh, What's going on? There's sirens everywhere, apparently, on Capitol Hill. Um, We pretty much said at that point, let's close the gym. Well, this young guy who's now a chiropractor himself, actually, out in Iowa, um, he's having to go around, tell people, hey, we're going to close. We're going to close. At this point, no one was really working out. They were watching the TVs. And they said, what do you mean you're going to close? I don't want to go outside. You're going to kick us out. (laughs) Well, I'd rather stay in this building, right. and he's like, "Well, blah blah." So he's calling. I said, "Well, they could stay in the building, but let's close." And you know, obviously, we don't know what's going on. And at that point, we're on the ra- we're listening to the radio, and we're hearing that Sixteenth Street is on fire, and the White House, it, 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 obviously, a lot of stuff that was cra- you know crazy and wrong. Yeah. The Mall of America was on, you know, all this stuff was reports coming in. We're hearing that people couldn't get out of the city, couldn't get into the city. One of the other guys I work with, he ran one of the other gyms in the city up in Northwest. He decided to leave right away. He was gonna go try to get to his gym. So he took off. The rest of us, we stayed in the office. Um, just again, trying to see what's going on. Long story short, I guess the, the gym did end up closing. They you know, cleared it out. It stayed closed for a couple days. I know of that day, I, like I said, I lived in Roslyn, not far from the Pentagon, it took me two or three hours to make a 15 minute uh, drive, just because even coming into the city that far out, there was roadblocks set up so yeah. I had to keep going around the roadblock, around the roadblock, around the roadblock. The next couple of days, I couldn't go into the city if I wanted to, because basically it was shut and I had to drive past the Pentagon, which at that point was impossible, Um so it was pretty eerie going back, you know, a couple of days later or whatever it was. I remember going to the mall over out at uh, Pentagon City and buying a whole bunch of flags and bunting and stuff so that when the gym reopened, kind of decorated it, but it was a ghost town for a minute. I mean, all those people who worked there, a lot of them didn't have to come back, you know, to work for for a bit and and so on. But it was a pretty crazy time. <laughs>
0: you know, one of my crazy questions I was, I was going to ask you was, uh, was the lockdown the most difficult part of time of your career? So I don't know how. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I would that. still
1: say so. Though, okay, that, okay. that that was a different type of difficulty. And yeah. unfortunately, at least in that regard, it was short lived. I also didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. Um, I also didn't own the business. Right. So I didn't have the same financial tie to the, to the right. business. And the reality is it was a couple days. It was kind of freaky. Um, but then things kind of started getting back to normal there in DC. I right. mean, obviously we saw a lot more security and we dealt at the time with a lot of government, uh, folks for memberships and things. We were used to walking into government buildings and bringing in membership contracts, to sell memberships yeah. that changed a little bit, you know, just in terms of having to go through checkpoints or have ID and, and checks like that. But it, it, we overcame that pretty easy, Th- yeah. this situation completely. Yeah, completely that's, different.
0: I was thinking back on that of after nine eleven. Like I think we were back in school the next day. It was crazy how how kind of quickly we recovered mm-hmm. from. That. I mean, you know, for my family, there was a big difference because because my dad rejoined the military after nine eleven, so things changed yeah. a lot for us. But kind of for everyday life in the country, we kind of got back to business as usual really quick from that.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, within a few days. Again, I I, I don't know what it was like in the. Uh, wider parts of the country but you know all of my friends were either back home in new york which did take a good while i think to come back even mentally and then then i was in dc so there was still that trepidation it was several days you know it took us a couple weeks for the sports to come back and and things like that but uh but we did you know, I think because yeah. it was a relatively easy thing to rally around, right? Yeah, for, for folks. So.
0: We kind of we learned what happened pretty quickly, and we knew we right. knew what it was, and we kind of knew what the path forward was.
1: Yeah, well, and the difference then too from now is it also it it was an event. Yeah. it happened it was like you said that part was over now right. it's time for the response and right. and the rebuilding and whatever right versus now fast forward this year this is an ongoing situation that you know we're, we're having a battle through
0: so what got you? So you went D.C. to New York, and then did you go down to North Carolina yep. from there? And then,
1: yeah, I've been in North Carolina for the last twelve plus years. Two thousand eight, okay. we came down here. I mentioned my wife was was doing her medical education. We decided uh, when that was over, it was time to settle. She had gone to uh, school down here uh in the triangle so we decided this would be the best place we have a had a 4-year-old son at the time he's 16 now so that's how we ended up settling down here uh and during my time in New York is when I uh kind of discovered that the style of fitness that I had been involved in uh that there was more to it and there was kind of what I thought would be a better way both you know fitness wise you know uh, methodology wise and then business wise something that would be a little bit more enjoyable to run and uh that's kind of how you know my gym now was was born someone else actually had started it and I had linked up with him real early on um and was fortunate enough to become his partner he ended up leaving the business soon after that and it's been mine solo now for the last I don't even know 10 11 years um and and that's kind of how we got to where we are today how did you how did you first
0: find out about CrossFit? Because that's always you you got mm-hmm. into it relatively early. It's always interesting hearing how people got into it early yeah. like, figured out. I was out.
1: definitely on the early-ish side yeah. for sure, certainly before the big explosion right. of it. Uh and ish maybe. Uh, a guy actually that worked for me at a Gold's gym doing corporate sales. He was involved in it. He had been a kettlebell instructor, kettlebell guy. So he was probably two or three years ahead of me in terms of crossfit and he had mentioned it in passing a couple times and then he started mentioning it more than in passing and he actually then mentioned that he had a gym and i was like what do you mean you have a gym you work here and he said well it's not a big deal it's kind of a hole in the wall i have three other partners and it was basically the first gold's gym in new or sorry crossfit gym in new york city uh it was crossfit nyc uh, which is still now one of the biggest CrossFit gyms in the world, Uh, but they started it. And it started in this tiny little six, 700 square foot space. And he was one of the guys. So he started telling me more about it. I started looking into it and I was like, huh, you know, again, from a methodology standpoint, this is a game changer. And then I started looking at the business model part of it. And uh, the business model is very free and open. It's not a franchise. It's a loose license, basically just to use the name and the methodology. Uh, very entrepreneurial, very, very libertarian. And I, a lot of that was attractive to me, set your own course, also a much smaller footprint. Um, you know, up until that point, my dream had been to open a gym that was going to cost two, $3 million, you know, just to open and, and uh, equip and so on. I found this, I said, Oh, for, again, from a business standpoint, this easier to start up, much more serious, the clientele will be more serious. These folks will probably be much easier and much uh, better to deal with because they actually are active and engaged and they wanna be there versus like a global gym model where people are joining mainly because of price. Um, they wanna be there, at least they tell themselves that, but then they join because of a promotion or, or a low price rate and then they don't come. Um, and at the time it was frustrating because I was running these very big gyms in New York City. Um, And most of my day was spent dealing with people on issues that had nothing to do with fitness. Um, So it becomes really frustrating when, you know, you're, you're in the fitness business, but your day is spent worrying about locker room cleanliness or music volume or cleanliness, you know, issues. And at the time, I said, no, no, I want to be involved with people who actually want to exercise and actually want to be better. Um, so that's what attracted me to it. And then when we moved to North Carolina, I said, that's that's where I want to go. That's what I'm going to do. Um, I was fortunate enough that I had a spouse that would be able to support us for a time so that I could make that happen. And while I was in that planning phase, I found one that was already just open and getting started. And I teamed up with them, was able to bring my kind of global gym fitness experience to the table that he did not have um, and we kind of built it together over the next uh, year or two and then he he decided like I said to leave and I've just been building it ever since
0: and, and I should say I trained at CrossFit Durham for about two years while I was living in North Carolina I'm wearing my CFD shirt right now <laughs> yeah, yeah. my favorite gym on the East Coast <laughs> you you built such a great community there like I'm still in touch with people who I I, I worked out with there was yeah. it was it just a, a kind of slow growth over the course of that, that 10, 12 years? How, oh, how, yeah. How did you build the gym up?
1: Yeah, when we first opened, the gym opened August of 2008. And by the following April, when we moved from our original location to our current location, um, I think we had grown to maybe 40 members or so. Um, and I remember, because they they throw it in my face now all the time, when I, especially now when I a lament that we've been losing members recently. Uh, my mom always brings it up. She's like, yeah, remember when you said if you could just get to 100 members, you would be set. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, I do remember that. But that was a long time ago. Um, the gym has expanded its space and size, you know, multiple times since then. So really, once we moved to our new location, we grew really fast from 40 members up to over 100 Um, And then March of this year, pre COVID and pre lockdown, we were pushing 400 total members. I mean, uh, we had, and that's been a pretty steady growth um, over the years, although for a while we were kind of hovering around the 200 mark for several years, then we changed some things that we were doing, added some other new programs, and then we really took off again in the last three years um, and we were a rocket ship. I mean, we we would be at five hundred members right now had had this year not occurred the way yeah. it's gone down, because um, we were just taking off. I mean, yeah. it was it was blasting off.
0: Yeah, and, so, uh, go ahead.
1: No, no, I was just going to say. So you know, then then we got the uh, rug pulled out from un- right. under us. So <laughs> yeah,
0: that that leads me to I wanted to fast forward to to this year. So when did you first start realizing like okay that we might have to close down or at least least something's happening where it's going to affect us.
1: So it was, I I stay pretty on top of the news. I mean, I'm still a, you know, political junkie, history junkie, current events junkie. So I'm on top of the news. Um, So I was aware of kind of this thing that was out there, you know, 10,000 miles away in in China and Asia uh, watching and listening and hearing what they're talking about. And I would say it was probably early March Uh, when then I think it first made its way to the United States, you know, out on the West Coast or the cruise ship or or something. And I said, okay, well, let's see what's happening. And we had already seen at that point what they supposedly were doing in China to contain it, but also what they were doing in South Korea and maybe, you know, a couple of the other friendlier Asian countries. Okay, well, let's see. Um, And then as we were getting right to the middle of March – and it seemed like okay in the United States things are starting to maybe pop off, and businesses and were maybe starting to voluntarily close for what we, they were saying would be for a week or a couple of days. Uh, I started seeing the writing on the wall, so we actually voluntarily stopped our uh, group classes. I think on March 15th or 16th it was it was a Sunday, whatever our last day of group classes was. But we didn't close the gym. We still we have an open gym program where our members can come access the gym whenever they want. We kept that going, but we were already getting enough feedback uh, from our members, but also from some of our coaches that they thought, mm, maybe do, running these group classes right this minute might not be the best thing. Um, so we tried to be proactive and say, okay, well, we won't do that but we're going to stay open. If people want to come in here, there's no reason. Our space is 6,000 plus square feet. It very rarely has more than 20 or 30 people in it at the same time. So even back then, you're never totally on top of of somebody else. Um, And then by the middle of the week, our local government, Durham City government had announced that they were going to have mandatory closure or shutdown or whatever it was, and I think the governor's order didn't come till a couple days even after that, so our city was first, I think, as of that Friday, so we had about five days where we were voluntarily uh, choosing to do less, and then a few days later, they made it mandatory, Um, and then we had to go in just totally different gear at that point.
0: Did, did the city like talk to you or to other business owners kind of beforehand to say, Hey, here's what's coming did, like, any, was there any kind of panel? where you no. finding out as soon as everyone else was finding out?
1: We were pretty much fi- Oh no. We were finding out as soon as everyone else was finding out. I mean, there was some buzz. I certainly didn't talk to anybody. Um, or did they talk to us, but I don't necessarily expected that they would have. I mean, I get that at that beginning part, this yeah. was all happening real fast. Yeah. Um, I do. I still go back to now, you know, the whole concept of, we have to flatten the curve or keep let there not be a curve and 15 days to control the spread. And which became, you know, 30 days even to control the spread. And I'm not sure how many days we're on now, but um, so no, initially it came real quick, but it came with very short, uh, dates again i think it was march 15th or 16th that the original local order came and then the state order and i think initially the order was through april 30th so right away we we're like man 6 weeks well okay 6 weeks let's see what we need to do to get through this and 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 make it through
0: so then so it that, that was kind of your mindset at the time it was like all right they're telling us april 30th let's just all right 6 weeks yeah sucks but but all right let's let's figure out the finances here let's you know we'll we'll just Basically. get to that point and and, and make it through
1: Basically, were,
0: were you talking to other gym owners or other business owners at the time in the area?
1: Uh, definitely, other uh, are gym owners uh, in the area. But at that point, this was becoming a national issue. So I was, you know, involved in different gym, you know, uh, mentoring groups and owner groups and things. So we were seeing what was going on and sharing ideas. But a lot of the idea wasn't even sharing ideas. It was just hearing like, well, this is what's happening here. This is what's happening here. What could we do to react to it Um, and so on? But so we were definitely hyper involved and hyper uh, paying attention to what are our options? What can we do? How can we mitigate any losses here? How can we keep people happy? How can we keep people paying us on the roster? So we really tried to shift right away to what services can we provide for the next 30 ish days while everyone can't be in the gym, but that's so that they could still be working out so they could still get what they're paying us for. Um, maybe just in a different way and a different delivery. Um, obviously they're gonna have to do it at home. So how can we deliver what we do, in the gym, how can we deliver that at home? So that was our original within the first two weeks. That's where we put all of our emphasis. we lent out pretty much every piece of equipment that was in the gym. So people can have something to train with at home. Uh, We changed uh, just what we were, how we were programming our workouts. We basically started programming home versions of all the workouts. We actually teamed all of our members up with a coach, uh, one-to-one so they can have someone directly in contact uh, with them a few days a week so that they can still have that connection of, well, here's how to do today's workout, Eric. Since normally when you're in the gym, I would tell you, hey, why don't you try this, this, and this? Well, now you're at home. So I, I want to make sure I keep a relationship there. So we did that. But that was all based on being temporary. We thought we were going to have to do that for the next 30-ish days or so. Um, but so that's what we focused on but I also was watching what else was going on and I knew April 30th there's no way. I can hear the rhetoric, I can hear what the governors were talk the governor here was talking about and so on. Yeah. And uh at that point I started saying, okay, we're going to need to be thinking even longer term uh and do what we need to do to mitigate the damage here.
0: I, I have to say it's the beauty of entrepreneurs that like, as soon as there's a problem, you think, okay, what can I do to fix this? And and I saw that with other gyms as people started doing stuff from work from home and, and lending out equipment. And it's, it's just, it's incredible that mindset of like, all right, here's what we're faced with. How do we, how do we fix it?
1: Or well, you like, don't have a, you know, as an as a business owner, an entrepreneur, you don't have a choice, yeah. you know uh, you could choose to do nothing, but then you li- really have zero control over your destiny. Yeah. For me as an entrepreneur and a business owner, the thing that I like about it most is that I am in control of my future, my destiny and, and the success of my business. The part that's been really frustrating through 2020 is that that hasn't been the case. Uh, I, I can only control what I can now control And the frustrating part for me with our local leaders, our state leaders, for sure, and even just on a national level to a large extent, is I am not in control anymore. I can't control – I certainly can't control whether or not we're allowed to be open or not. I could either choose to defy that order if it comes or obey it. Um, The other thing I can't control is uh, what sort of messaging is coming out. Uh, from local leaders or state leaders or national leaders on uh, forming public perception, you know, because that's that's been one of the other things that we've had to fight against. Uh, even just this morning before uh, we got uh, we got on here, actually, I got a cancellation notice from from someone who's been a member with us for a good while, is a thirty year old guy healthy, trains with us every day he sent an email basically saying he, he, he loves the gym. loves what we do. He loves being there, but he feels like every time he comes in there right now, he feels uncomfortable and he's going to sit it out until there's a vaccine and he comes back and there's nothing we could do about it. I don't, I, I won't have a conversation with that person at this point. I'm, that's not a mind I'm looking to change. Um, I know that there's someone else right behind him right now who doesn't have that mindset and is going to join later this afternoon. Um, so from a business standpoint, that's okay. But it also pains me because the reality is that's a perception that I I can't really fight against uh, despite the fact that there's just all the data, all of the information that's out there in relation to gyms at, at the very least in terms of s- spreading or not spreading you know, COVID, all of the data is that there's no risk in a a gym. Um, Our place, we've taken every possible precaution I mentioned before, our gym is 6,000 square feet. We're currently capping our our classes at 12 people. Um, By mandate, we can't have more than 30 people in the building, but our people, when they come now, are anywhere from 15 to 20 feet apart in all directions from the next nearest participant. The doors are open, the windows are open, especially now in North Carolina. we October. October, starting to hit the 60s and you know low you know low 70s still some days, but it's nice and cool. We could open our garage door and the windows, and it's almost an outdoor space, you know, when all that's open. And that just makes me sad that I know that there's folks locally who are choosing not to continue to get in shape because I know they're not doing anything when they're not coming. Yeah. We saw that happen back in, in March and April. For the first 30 days or so, everyone was gung-ho. These, hey, home workouts, these are awesome, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, by end of May, that was dropping off big time.
0: That was May.
1: There's a reason that people come to gyms. There's a reason that there's a an industry, billions and billions of dollar industry of gyms. Um, if it was so easy to do at home, there wouldn't be gyms. So, Uh, that, that part just drives me nuts because I can't control that really. Um, at least after the fact, you know, once somebody has sent, sent us that type of message or made that decision, it's going to be really hard to talk them out of it. And, and I don't really want to talk them out of it. That's not really at this point, our job. One of the things that we've tried to do over now, the last several months is say, is try to spread good information and also try to spread this is what we're doing to keep everybody safe. We're constantly, going back to my college days, I'm constantly cheerleading everybody in in our business for doing the right thing. Hey, thank you, everybody. We do do ask everybody to wear masks. Our coaches are masked all the time. Um, I'm not even sure if that's the right thing to do or not, but I also know that it makes people feel Like it's safe and comfortable. So I'm cool with doing it that way. I don't like being told that we have to do it. But I'm here to serve our customers. So if our customers are looking for that so that they feel safe coming on a regular basis, I'll do it. I don't care. I'll paint the gym yellow if that's what the customers want, you know, that type of thing. So I see you got a yellow wall there, so I'm not. I'm not saying that, ain't that yellow. No,
0: this is my that's Pittsburgh. Studios. I know. I, I hear. It I hear. Don't worry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, I'd paint it neon pink if yeah. if that's what they wanted. Um, so you know, we're doing all those things. So I sh- we're sharing a lot of that. When I see a new report or a new study come out uh, from a gym group or a, or a gym alliance group showing, hey, this has been the spread or the lack of spread over this period of time I'm sharing that with our members. It for multiple reasons. One, I want them to see like hey, you're doing the right thing by being in here. You're taking care of yourself. One of the most important things any of us could and should be doing to protect ourselves from COVID is being as strong and healthy as possible. The reality is most of the people who are getting really sick and and even end, you know ending up with the worst outcomes are people who are sick, you know, in some way. Yeah. So the best way to fight it is to not get it, of course. Second best way to fight it is to be super healthy, you know, um, and that's what we do. That's what we do for our people. So we try to show everybody, hey, you need to be in here. You need to be as strong as possible. We need to be as cardiovascularly healthy as possible. And we're going to do it in a way that also helps mitigate your your exposure or your potential exposure to it. So we try to cheerlead that and say, hey, you're doing the right thing. This also is giving them hopefully the idea of like, hey, it's all good. It's safe. We haven't had one positive wow. uh, case in in our gym. We've been open since uh, – on a minimal basis, we opened back in uh, early June um, because there was some lo- – I hate to use the word loopholes but there were some criteria that we could meet to be able to serve people so we took advantage of that as early as we could it was mid-June June June 15th Um, the gym was able to open kind of on a grand scale to whatever extent 30 percent capacity back in September Um, so we've had people coming into the gym since June and we've had no issues um I know of a member or two who have uh, had a diagnosis, but it came through a spouse or, or from a workplace. They weren't in the gym, they st- they stayed away from the gym, they were healthy themselves, maybe they're back in the gym. Um, but we haven't had any issues and we've done thousands of visits already since, yeah. since June. Um, I know that's true of other gyms in North Carolina. The reality is it's true of gyms all across the United States. Um, and knowing what we know, it was even mentioned in the presidential debate last night, knowing what we know about what people think about gyms and COVID, if there was an issue, we would know about it. Right. Because it's very it's one of the top boogeymen. It was one of the, it's it was along with maybe bars um or nightclubs, gyms were lumped in right from the get as being the the potential just danger zone for the spread of this um, and the reality is that's just not true because yeah. if it was true gyms are open all across the country you know to various extents but they're pretty much open just about everywhere and if there was really a problem rest assured we would know about it or we would at least be being told about it Um, because it would be, uh, and I told you so from the people who are wanting to tell us, I told you so, and it's just not there. But if it was there, there's no doubt about it. They would be shoving it down our throats.
0: So that's, what's so frustrating about this whole thing is that we've known from the beginning. And I mean, it's just common sense that healthier people are less susceptible to getting sick. And so why is it that gyms were, were the bogeyman when really they should be considered one of the saviors? You know, they should, there should be yeah. an exception for gyms, not a not extra lockdowns on gyms.
1: Yep. What, yeah. What, what you, what, well, go ahead. I think the, I think a lot of it is just per- historical perception of gyms. Um, certainly there's gyms out there that don't have the best reputation for overall cleanliness Obviously, everyone knows when you go to a gym, hopefully you're in there and you're breathing hard and you're exercising. So I, I know even from our, lo- our home state here, North Carolina, the, our health director, secretary of health, whatever her, her title is, throughout our closed period, that was the uh, line she used over and over and over as to why gyms were dangerous, which is gyms in gyms, there's heavy breathing there's lots of heavy breathing. She used no data. She used no facts. Other than that, when you're on a treadmill, you're breathing heavy. She then extrapolated that to meaning, well, that must mean it's high risk. Despite the fact that there was no actual data to back that up. I get it on paper. it sort of makes sense, right? If you put a room full of people together on treadmills that are, Separated by just a couple of inches, and you're on your treadmill and I'm on mine, and we're both heavy breathing, okay, it's sort of on paper makes sense, but the reality is that's not what the data showed, right. Um, not to mention we could have done months ago what most of the gyms are at least doing right now, which is that's okay, let's reconfigure them a little bit. let's maybe I don't think anybody out there said, let's not do anything let's not, let's just operate as usual. Let's not make, take any precautions. But I think the gyms and and business owners in particular, like we want to protect our customers. Like if our customers get sick or worse, then they're not customers anymore. And also other people wouldn't want to become customers. So it, it's in a gym owner's interest to protect the health of his customers. I mean, that's really true, regardless of what your business is, right? If you're in a restaurant or you don't want your customers to get food poisoning from your restaurant, so you should probably keep your kitchen clean. If you don't keep it clean, after a while, word might get out that your kitchen's not clean. You know, down here in North Carolina, I guess other states too, you know, you go into a restaurant, they have signs up on the wall with a grade, a number grade of their cleanliness. I usually look at that. I've never generally seen one super low. There's been a couple of times where I've seen one, I'm like, "Mm, maybe we shouldn't be eating here. You know? Um, Generally it's not in a business owner's interest for his customers to get sick.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Because again, they won't want to be there anymore. And they're going to tell people I don't go there anymore because X, Y, Z. So I think we could have done plenty of things like what we're doing now much, much earlier and avoided some of the, you know, financial damage, um, not to mention health damage, you know, to people, mental health and and physical health damage to, to folks, um, and we could have just done it in a much different way.
0: That's to me the scariest thing of this whole thing is how willing people were to just say, well, the government's telling us to just shut everything down, and we need to do whatever they say, and yeah. without even having to pass a law, without you know, the, the yeah. governor just says we're shutting down, and. W- He'll say, you know, first, okay, we're shutting down for two weeks. And then we're shutting down for a month. We're shutting down for two months. And and people just kind of fall in line with it. Instead of instead of saying what you're saying, which is, hey, let's get together. Nobody wants to get sick. Nobody wants their friends or their neighbors to get sick. Let's figure out ourselves what the best course of action is for, for our business and for what we're doing. Because everyone's different. We know this affects people differently. We know it spreads differently and, and different businesses – act differently because of because of how they how people interact so they they should have different rules it, it the whole thing is it just it's just scary me how willing people are just willing to throw all yeah. logic out the window and just listen to to what their superiors yes. tell them
1: it's definitely scary my hope is uh just because this has gone on as long as it has though is i do think that there may be hopefully some element of that people won't be as willing the next time to just unquestionably yeah. uh, comply. Now, I've had this discussion with plenty of people over the last several months. I, I touched on it even myself in terms of you know the business. Uh, I know, you know like the masks are, are a hot button or for a while we're a real hot button for a lot of people. I've said to plenty of my friends who think differently, I don't have an issue with wearing the mask if I go somewhere, if it makes someone else feel uh, comfortable. Mainly because I'm not an asshole. Right. Like I generally forget take mass out of it, take COVID out of it. I generally try not to be an asshole right. in my life to people. So if that means I I try not to do something that makes somebody else feel bad. Now I know that there's other people out there who just don't care. Okay, but in that regard, my objection uh, to the mask issue isn't the mask itself. It's the uh, forcing of it or the uh, compulsory nature of it my preference would have been all along across the country even is for all of us to have just been encouraged to wear them and here's the reasoning why and we think this is a good idea for everybody for everybody's safety but as soon as you say you must do this and if you don't do this maybe you're going to get fined Maybe your business could be fined or closed if you're not enforcing it um, and so on. That's where I have a problem with it because you know that's just not how it's supposed to be. Right. Uh, I take issue as well uh, as a business owner with having to be the one responsible also for enforcing uh, quote-unquote laws. We touched on it. It's not a law to begin with. I don't personally like having to be the one that's collecting sales tax. That's a whole other discussion. But I don't think businesses should be responsible for collecting taxes for other people. But I also don't think we should be the ones requiring uh, someone to wear a mask or say. Now, again, in my business, we're going to do it. But I'm not doing it because I'm told to do it. I'm doing it because the other customers in my business would like for us to do that. It'll make them feel more comfortable coming to my business if when they get there, they see everyone else around them and the staff is wearing a mask. so Guess what? That's a good business decision. For me, it has zero to do with whether or not Uh, our governor or our local leader, mayor or county commissioner has said we have to do it. We're going to do it. We actually are doing it beyond what's I think required on paper. But the reason I'm doing that is because that makes my customers feel good. And I like my customers. I want them to feel good. I want them to keep paying us and I want them to feel safe and secure as much as possible when they're visiting our business. So to me that's just good business. Yeah. I don't need the government to tell me what's good business. That that's the part that I take issue with. And I actually think overall we would have potentially had more widespread compliance on a grander scale had they these things not been mandated but have just been said, "Hey, this is part of the plan." But as soon as the word mandate yep. started coming out of people's mouths, unfortunately in this day and age, that means some other people are going to push back against it. Yep. And Whereas they might have done it before. As soon as you tell me I have to, now I'm going to not do exactly. it. Exactly. How about yeah. that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's every business owner I've talked to has said exactly what you're saying, which is I want to take care of my customers. And most people, when you when you talk to them one on one, they say I I want to do whatever it takes to make people feel comfortable to make people, you know, feel like they're they're going to be healthy. They're not going to get sick. And the problem is we we have this distrust of each other, which is such a, a larger societal issue that I people yeah. say, well, I would take care of my customers, I would take care of, yes. of people, I would do the right thing, but I don't know about those other people.
1: But well, yeah, you're right because that's the argument, right? Yeah. Is people say, well, you, well, Dave, you'll do it, but what about the other guy who won't do it? My answer to that is, well, you know what's going to happen to the other guy? One of two things. One is he won't do it. And he will still have customers come to him because they'll be okay with it, and that's their choice, and God bless America. Or he won't require it. It'll be a disaster, and he'll lose his customers and ultimately his business. And that was his choice and their choice. God bless America.
0: Right. I mean that's that's part of – there's, there's a problem that we have where it's like we, we want to compare what we're doing to what every other country is doing. And people forget that what's unique about America is that we are a country of, of people who resist government mandates. That's that's how we started. And that's the foundation of this country. And I think you're you're absolutely right that if you had taken out the mandate, that people would be willing to say – we saw it when, when the virus first hit. that people said, okay, 15 days to, to slow the curve, or to flatten the curve we're on board with that. People want good things to happen, but as soon as you say the government's forcing you to do this, Milton Friedman I'm going to butcher the quote, but he goes there's nothing more permanent than a temporary government program. And that's I think yeah. what everyone's scared of is that yeah. okay, maybe the the mask mandate, maybe it makes sense that we should be wearing masks all the time, but once you're allowed to just mandate that just by 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 government diktat without again without passing any kind of laws just just by ordering it. What are you setting the precedent for after that? And and Correct. that's what I think so many people are afraid of. And that's what uh, the, the people who who say oh, we you know we should just listen to what the government's saying, we should just listen and and do everything they say, aren't aren't thinking that you know those next couple steps down the line when the government's telling them to mm-hmm. do something that that they don't like. And that's, that's what right. I, I try to get people to realize is you've got to look at the yes. bigger picture in all of this.
1: Yeah, and uh, even to that point, what the government might say. Uh, And this happened. What the government said in early February, by late February was different, by mid-March was different, by... April and June was different. Um, and then start getting into uh, the local governments and the state governments, even aside from the national government or the CDC or the World Health Organization. Things change. And I get it with a disease in particular. Things are going to change, especially when it's something new like this that they hadn't seen before. Um, but, you know, I, in a lot of regards, I'll cut a lot of slack for them not knowing Um, You know, my wife's a doctor. So we have, you know, these conversations on a regular basis. She was, her clinic was one of the testing centers here locally. So she was right on top of it locally with what's happening. Um, I get that it's new still, and they still, we're still not even sure what are the long-term effects for people who've been affected and so on and so on and so on. I get all that. But as you said, we should just have a choice and to the folks even who say well your choice to do xyz could impact the other folks this is true however for those folks if you're i would say if you're worried about someone else's choice affecting you well then maybe you're you are the one who you could you may choose to isolate yourself i know of people who have said and it's i'm like holy cow still like haven't gone to the grocery store or have really removed themselves from other uh, social environments and and things like that, that's their choice. If that's what makes them feel okay, that's okay. Um, You know, I don't – I feel bad for anybody who's died from it. Obviously, or been super sick from it. That's certainly not what we want to have happen. If we, you know, my parents don't live here, so I haven't had a chance to see them a whole lot. And if we were closer in in proximity, might we see them in a different way? Somewhat, yeah, probably. But it would be our choice. It would be their choice. You know, um, you know, my parents are, you know, well, seventies, and and my stepdad, you know. S- pushing 80s my my in-laws you know are, are in another country right now they're not even coming back yet because they're they're in a place where they they're not even really in a position to come back here but they're older and every day that goes by really is a day that they're not being able to see people that they might want to see um, you know whom who knows how many days total they have left i saw a video online the other day of a uh, super sweet uh, uh, an older man who is in a nursing home and been married for 60 years and he couldn't see his wife for, I think it was on the 215th day. And so they showed their reunion. It was super sweet, but as sweet as it was to me, it was infuriating yeah. because that, how many days do those folks have left right. to begin with? And so he just lost 215 of them uh, when he really didn't have to, because there had to be a way for them to be together still safely. Even if they were both wrapped in bubble wrap, why couldn't they be? Right. But right. also, how about give the guy the choice? Yeah. Um, give the guy a choice. So,
0: and, and that's, that's my take on it. I mean, that's the other thing. You know, like you were saying, the government changing its messages is—is is they won't let these couples see each other. They won't let you see family that's in the hospital that's dying. They won't let you have weddings. But then they're signing off on these big protests where everyone's gathering and 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 yeah shoving all in together and
1: yeah that's, that's yeah and frustrating thing and frustrating for sure and, and you know like in that regard and you see that like up in new york city there's you know right now going on you know some pushback in the uh jewish community for some of their you know new year's celebrations and weddings and things and then on the and and they're getting all kinds of pressure you know from the local and, and state government there um and even here in North Carolina early on there were some protests against the lockdowns and things and all sorts of pressure and then it was followed up in late May and June you know with with the uh racial protests and what my take on it is they're all appropriate <laughs> so don't single one out you can't just pretend that one is not appropriate and dangerous and the other one because it's so important it's okay for me they're all okay yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah,
1: so if one's okay, they're both okay, yep. and you can't you they the government shouldn't be allowed to pick and choose. Well, this one is dangerous, but this one yeah, it's sort of dangerous. <laughs> but the message is so much more important that that. Un- no, no, no. As soon as you do that, that's where they undermine their argument. Yep. Yep. And I think going back even to late May and early June, that's where a lot of the pushback on uh, a lot of these mass mandates and some of the other even extended uh closures and things i think a lot of the pushback came from that it's just in in what people view as as being hippocratic you know yeah. hypocrisy um and it was unnecessary because nowadays it doesn't it's not all black and white it doesn't just because you're right doesn't mean i'm wrong and vice versa There there's a lot more nuance to the world yeah. than you're right and I'm wrong or I'm right. And you're wrong. Yep. Um, and unfortunately right now like, there's just not enough of that recognition going on where people are willing to say again, okay, I might not totally agree with you. Uh, but it doesn't mean I completely disagree with you. So yep. listen to what I have to say and then you do the same back and let's find kind of the common ground here. Um, and that's again where I'm kind of talking about uh, most business owners are going to do that. Not all. I have some friends who are like, oh no, they opened in defiance of being closed. They had a customer base or they built a customer base that was cool with that. So it it didn't affect their business long term. For me, I had to, I made my business decisions based on my clientele um, and what I felt they would be comfortable with. Because that's my clientele. That's who I want to serve. That's who we are serving. Um, that's, but again, that's what a business owner does, and it yeah. it could be our choice. And it's the same choice for the customers. You can choose to go to a business or choose not to go to a business. That's the beauty of it. You're not forced to go to a business that's open if you don't think it should be open. That's totally okay. You don't have to force it to be closed, though. You could just not go. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, that's where some of this, you know, some of this got lost. Would it have been different if this wasn't an election year? I don't know. I guess we'll never know. Right. Uh, although we might find out in a couple of weeks because we'll see maybe what the effects are after the election. But I hope that it you know, what is that's not the case. You know, I, I think we should be dealing with this, you know, as again, a long-term issue, like you Absolutely. said, because it could come up again. Maybe it's a different issue next time, and maybe it's actually a, an even more serious issue. And it, and we're going to want to protect ourselves or our families or communities. And now you have to worry that now people are going to be even less inclined to follow along because yeah. of how maybe they were treated this time around. You know. It-
0: well, I mean, what, what's what's a little bit heartening is you are starting to see some pushback in, in the court system that where I grew up, Western Pennsylvania, a bunch of the counties brought a suit against the governor of Pennsylvania against the lockdowns. And they actually won, at least in the first level the, at the district court. And, and the judge issued a beautiful opinion where he basically said the Constitution, the rights in the Constitution don't just disappear when we're in bad times. They're there for good times yeah. and bad times. And. So that the state's, of course, going to appeal that, and we'll see what happens on appeal. But you're starting to see some pushback. And I, I, I yeah. think there's even a, a good First Amendment case against the federal government with what you were saying with these, these protests, that they're allowing protests for certain opinions, for certain causes, but they won't allow you to go to church. And there's a clear First Amendment issue there. I mean, just the right to practice religion, but also the government's supposed to be content neutral in what they allow. And... They're, they're choosing based on the content of these protests what they're allowing what they're yes. not allowing so I think there's going to be some legal pushback so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that uh I wanted to to ask you do you have a few more minutes sure sure what's what's the current state of the gym now I mean how what yeah. percentage of people did you lose during the lockdown what percentage have, yeah. have come back at this so point? I
1: look I looked before we got on the call today but overall we're down probably about 25 percent net in total number of people. Now, with that reduction in people, we also were able to kind of have a reduction in services. So after really what was like a four month uh, net neutral, uh, in terms of the business and profitability, um, as of what, August, August, no, sorry, September, we kind of are back on track, okay. I would say, at least in terms of the trajectory we were on business-wise, profitability-wise. All that said as well, uh, I mentioned we, we reopened using some of the guidelines that were available to us in uh, mid-June. Up to that point, again, we were down maybe 30, 35% in number of members, revenue, and so on. In the months of July and August this year, um, despite the fact that we were not globally open you know the headline was still that gyms in north carolina were closed so we had to still navigate that manage that public opinion but in july and august this year we sold and signed up as many new members in july and august this year as we actually did in 2019 oh, that's awesome. so the demand was there yeah. um so we're back to growing um my hope i was telling somebody this uh, last night even is uh my hope is that uh you know all all things hopefully working out is maybe by March we may be back to where we were last March. I don't know. That might be a little aggressive, but close, which in the grand scheme will mean that, you know, the year was sort of a wash and and at least in terms of growth and trajectory, but um, but we're in a pretty good spot right now. I mean, we still have limitations, you know, again, we're servicing 75% of the number of people than we were uh, seven, eight months ago but we're also, some of our expenses are are down because we're servicing fewer people. So whereas, you know, late June, early July, I was not optimistic at all. I actually had started kind of a, I think we have six more months that we can do this. Um, But July and August turned around, somewhat unexpectedly for me, at least, um, on paper and financially to where I said, oh, okay, Wait a minute. Now, barring any setbacks, um, both in terms of what the virus does and people's behavior in in the country and even locally here in North Carolina, um, certainly we're going to try to do our best to make the right business decisions. But I feel a little more back in control, like I was talking about before. I think barring some other external force, be it the virus itself or government (laughs) stepping back in and and putting a a damper on, on our business, I think, you know, we've turned the corner. Um, I I hope that that's the case. Again, we have 12 years plus, you know, 12 years and counting and there's no reason why we shouldn't have another 12 years, you know, business-wise we would. So unless there's some artificial obstacle put in our way, um, I'm somewhat, you know, hopeful. Yeah.
0: Well, you, know. you, yeah, you run a great gym. So I, I know, again, yeah. as long as something else doesn't come, you'll, you'll be doing just fine. I, I do have yeah. to ask you, so I've, i I yeah. want to change the subjects a little bit. Sure. I, I've seen online, you've been training Muay Thai lately. I was curious how yeah, you got yeah. into that. It seems like so, you're having fun with it.
1: Oh, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, I, I started training in May of last year. So I'm about what a little short of 18 months into it. Um, how I got into it, uh, Again, long story short, Um, I turned 44 this past past April, so I guess last year, right around, I turned 43. I grew up; I'm a kid of the '80s, so I grew up watching, you know, Stallone and jean Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal. So I've always it been into martial arts. I've been a huge UFC fan from the early days, 2004, 2005. Wow. That's not, I know, as early as some others, Pretty but early, yeah. a good while. Yeah. And I'm a voracious. MMA UFC fan I don't miss an event pretty much our schedule even in my house revolves around it I don't go out on Saturdays if there's fights and so on and my wife knows it like that's that's my outlet Um, I don't drink anymore so any of my extra money it goes to pay-per-views and things anyway so I've been a huge fan of the sport for years i listen to podcasts I watch YouTube videos I watch every event and I've never trained any martial arts in my life. I've always been fitness, exercise, uh, weightlifting, and so on. Never any martial arts. Um, one of my best friends, someone I grew up with, uh, he's a black belt in jujitsu. He's been telling me for years. He started it back in college, so he's 20 years in. He's been telling me for years, you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it. Uh, Here at the gym, I know, you know guys who did some jujitsu, some other combatives, things like that and I just never made the time really to do it. I'd always kind of said, well, where it's not, where, where am I going to go? It's not convenient. So on. fast forward, I don't know, a couple years ago, uh, listening to podcasts, doing a lot of self-improvement. I've even kind of, you know, rebuilt my own body and kind of gone through got gotten serious again, you know, reading David Goggins and some of these other guys, um, and it was actually listening to a Joe Rogan podcast and he had uh, Russell brand on there. Um, so this is maybe about a year and a half ago. And one of the things he was talking about with Russell brand, who was also, I think mid forties, late forties yeah. now, maybe even early fifties. He had gotten in, into jujitsu <laughs> within the last year and he was telling Joe Rogan about it. And he was talking about how humbling it is to, you know, have a 250 pound plumber yeah. sitting on his chest, you know, and, do, and Joe Rogan was just encouraging him saying, this is amazing. Look at all you learn. And he, Russell Brand was saying, it's the best thing I've ever done. It's teaching me so much. And Joe Rogan's message was, it doesn't matter that you're 50. You could do it whenever Anthony Bourdain didn't start doing it until he was like 55, 56 and it changed his life and so on. Um, so just listening to that, I said, I, you know what? Fuck this. That- I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm going to do it. And at the time I said, I'm going to learn jujitsu. Then I had to look at the reality of my life (laughs) set up right now. And when I started looking at where am I going to do it? uh, It just so happens a a Muay Thai Thai boxing gym is seven minutes from my house. I knew the original owner there. I knew some of the other guys there. And I said, you know what? Okay. I'm not going to do jujitsu, but Muay Thai is Pretty cool too. Yeah. I also know that's one of the major arts, you know, especially in MMA and whatnot. I said, I'm going to go do that. And that's basically how I decided to do it. I basically just stop thinking you can't do it, that you should have done it 20 years ago and just yeah. do it now. Yeah. So you don't it, have to look back and say, I should have done it. I should have done it. I should have done it.
0: It's so funny with with all the martial artists that Joe Rogan has on his show that it was Russell Brand that got <laughs> yep. you into it. He well, been...
1: I, I'll say he was probably the tipping point right, because obviously right. I had heard up to that point him talking even to some of his comedian friends who do yeah. it, uh, you know Russell Peters and when he has Eddie Bravo on and yeah. obviously he's not a you know he is the jujitsu guy, right. but he had talked to a lot of his other friends about it too. Yeah. Russell Brand was kind of the tip right because i had been already thinking about it and like i said this is something i had thought about for years and just never said stop being a pussy go do it go learn to do it stop being lazy about sketch go do it and then that's basically what it is so i got into it and i love it i can't get enough of it uh i want to do it as much as possible the worst part about it is i can only do so much because i got to be able to do it. Like right. it's very physical. So I'm really trying to manage the workload and uh, be able to do it. I want to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And I still would like to get into doing some jujitsu. Uh, but right now it's funny because I'm in my head. I'm like, okay, but if I do that, that means I can't go to Muay Thai. <laughs> so <laughs> right. I'm not do good enough at Muay Thai yet. <laughs> so I don't want to not go there. So we'll yeah. see. Uh, but uh, yeah. at some point, I'm sure I'll, I'll do some of it.
0: Yeah, it, it's so fun, and, and so many people who I've talked to say, oh, I want to get into jujitsu, I want to get to Muay Thai, I want to get to martial arts, but I've got to get in shape first. And I say, well, mm-hmm. just go do it. And by doing that, just that's do how it. you'll get in shape. And you're going to suck. Yeah. Even if you're in great shape, you're going to suck at, at anything for the first couple of years, really. Yeah. And yeah. you just got to get yourself to get up and do it. And, and so many times I think it's really an ego thing. It's like you don't want to look bad and you just have mm-hmm. to you just have to suck that up and you go, just
1: have to do it yeah just do it it's and go have fun with it and of course it's gonna be hard but yep. anything worthwhile is hard yep. uh, if it was easy, everybody would do it um, so if it's something one of the things that I've tried to now do myself mindset wise is not let fear be the reason that I'm not gonna do if I want to do something but the only reason I could come up with for not doing it is I'm scared of doing it. I got to go do it. I got to do it. Um, and that's when I hear David Goggins or somebody like that in my head saying, you know, just do it, pussy. Like, go, yeah, just yeah. do it. Exactly. I know you don't want to do it. It's got to be hard. Okay. And yeah, exactly. so, so, you know, it's funny. Cause now I, you know, other people have seen him doing it. I'm like, yeah, you got to go do it. Come try a class. Come do it. It's fun. It's awesome. Even if you just do it a couple times, do do something different. Do it out of your comfort zone. Um, you know, just try it. Um, you might like it. You might fall in love with it. So, yeah, I love it. It's the best thing ever. I wish I tell everybody every freaking day. I'm like, God damn, I'm 44. I wish I started this when I was 24. I was talking to one of the guys yesterday. He's 30. He's like, Yeah, I said I started when I was 25. I wish I started when I was 15. Right. So everybody says, I wish I started earlier. I, you know? I said say
0: that I didn't start doing jujitsu until like my my mid early mid twenties. And I say, I wish I, I wrestled when I was a kid. Cause I would have been so good at it. Yeah. And yeah. Everyone thinks they're too old and, and unless you're exactly. dead
1: or not. But then, you know, someone else said to me yesterday, but he said, but you know what? I'm glad I didn't start it that long ago. Cause maybe I'd be burnt out of it by now. Right. That's a good point. So at least now I appreciate it. Cause I appreciate the hell out of it. You know? And I wake up a couple of days and I'm like, Oh wait, that doesn't feel good. Even today. I'm like, Oh, my neck's a little stiff. All right. I'm alive though. Yeah. And it'll be good. I got all kinds of self healing tools and stuff around, and cryo and yep. leg squeezers and, <laughs> you know, uh Tim Tams. I got, it's right here next to yep. me, my little self. I, I got, I I got will,
0: mine over there. Yeah.
1: I will do whatever because I, I'm going to get myself ready to go, you yeah. know, and uh just stop being my own block, yeah. you know, and don't yeah. care. And the other thing is, I don't care really what anyone else thinks yeah. or I'm trying not That's to. That's the key. Yeah you know is obviously i care what people around me like the people i care about think but only to an extent because if i want to do something i'm not going to let them thinking that's crazy keep me from doing it unless they have a valid reason like hey you're crazy because if you do that you're going to break your head open right if it's legit right like my mom thinks i'm crazy because she's (laughs) like what do you mean you're gonna get punched i'm like yeah but you know what it's not that big a deal we're practicing it's you know um but if it was like, hey, I'm going to go jump off a building without a parachute, and this is a, and someone's teaching me the a, a right way to land, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know. That, so all, all moms are the same. My mom says the I know. same thing. Then
0: then yeah. she sees me, and my brother doing jujitsu in the basement. And she thinks it's sweet that we're we're bonding. So that, that's <laughs> there how we get it past her. That's how we get her. It's okay.
1: okay. Right? It's totally okay. Totally so okay.
0: My last question: t- uh, tomorrow yep. night we have Khabib versus Gaethje. Who are you picking? Yep.
1: Yep. Whew. Okay. So basically my, my heart is for Gaethje, yeah. Uh but my head is Khabib. Yeah. Uh, although I did see li- late last night or this morning, he had a little bit of trouble making weight. I saw, um, but I just think I, there he, Khabib hasn't shown us any reason up till now that why he can't win yeah. his way seems to work. Now, Gaethje, I think has a, a great chance Really as good a chance as anybody, probably a better chance than anyone else up till this point. I think he certainly has a better shot than Poirier did, a, you know, a year ago. I think he's got a better shot than McGregor because he's got his wrestling. Um, but I still think Khabib is just an unstoppable force and he's still in his prime. So uh, I think he's super motivated because he lost his father. Um I don't think he's going to want to have that, you know, hanging over him and uh, I just don't think it's his time yet. That yeah. said, I won't be surprised <laughs> if Gagey wins. But that's sort of my take on a lot of UFC right. fights. People always ask me, "Oh, who's your favorite fighters?" and I'm like, "You know what? I like all of them. Yeah. I like I root for good fights. I want to I like the overall storyline and again, kind of in line with some of this other stuff we're talking about, I like watching great i like watching guys achieve great things so i don't really care which one of them win i hope it's an exciting fight um i hope some of the other cards uh, you know fights on the card i just hope they're exciting fights there's very few people that i like actively root for or against um partially because I just respect so much what they're doing when they go in there. And like, and especially now, even over the last 18 months, I have such a different appreciation for what it is they're doing. Like, wow. You know? Um, yeah. So I can't wait for that one. That one's been circled on my calendar since they announced it. I can't wait.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It changes the whole sport when you've actually tried it and you were like, Oh, that's what it feels like to get punched in the head. Oh, you, them you know, I haven't done to them 80 times in a fight.
1: 80 times I mean but shoot even just a couple take a couple steps back from that I'm like how do you even move to get into position a punch him? In? like the footwork is what I have an appreciation for yes getting you know punched especially when I'm used to now doing it with a you know big puffy pillow gloves and yeah, right. even that's like whoa but just the footwork and you know feeling like you have two left feet and you watch them do it and it's just like they're so smooth and dance like watching like someone like Adesanya or even yeah. Conor McGregor like just the way they move and how sharp they are and it's like wow it's just yeah. beautiful
0: <laughs> it is, it is, it's, it's an art and I, I say yeah. it's UFC is our last institution left that has any sort of civility to it because yeah. you see these guys even when they're talking such trash beforehand and they beat yeah. each other up and then afterwards they, they hug and and they'll say yeah. great you know there's there's exceptions Khabib and Conor course, still don't have a relationship but but yes. for the most part, you 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 can learn so much from these guys just on how to yep. carry yourself as as a yep. man as a human.
1: I agree, I agree. And the you know and the female fighters too, yes, you know yeah. as well. But it, it for me it's some of the other combat sports now as well. But uh, certainly the mixed you know the mixed martial arts you know stuff. But Glory kickboxing and one championship is doing you know Muay Thai but with MMA gloves and in a cage. It, this is as close to like pure sport yep. Roman gladiator style without the hopefully nobody dying as we really have, you know, and I know that there's rules to it and it's not a, as real of a fight as it might be if it was out on the street, but that's okay. You know, this is a, a relatively safe sporting way to prove who's the best person on this given day. Um, and I've tried to get my son into it, and it's funny because he's just a Sports Center ESPN junkie, okay. and for the most part, he's he's not all that into it. But during the lockdown, uh, just as an aside, because the UFC was running, and there wasn't a lot for them to be talking about on on Sports Center and stuff, so he actually started getting into it because it, he had to watch it. it. Yeah, that was what there was. So, uh, and he, but then as the other stuff started coming back on, he's yeah. like, oh, okay, those are back. I'm like, all right. I'm like, you realize this is the best sport out of all of them, right? And I mentioned, you know, I grew up, I born, you know, baseball runs through my veins, Yankees. But I love baseball. I always love baseball. I'm sitting in a room that's, you know, decorated with baseball stuff. But you know, fighting. Yeah. you know, to me, that's the realest of, of the sports, you know, as it is right now. So
0: baseball is my favorite sport to go to live because it's, there's something about just hanging out. It's summer, you're outside. Yeah. And it's it, the sport kind of lends itself to to conversation. You know, there's a lot of stoppage. So you, you know, you go, you go with your dad, you go with your buddies, like yeah, there's something about the experience of going to a baseball game that I don't yeah. think can be topped, but to watch, I, I UFC puts everything else to shame. I'm the same way. It's hard to watch other sports. Yep. And you get it after you get into ufc
1: yep i agree
0: <laughs> all right dave rubin courage fitness durham durham north carolina thank you so much for being here you've been yep. a supporter of what i've been trying to do with this podcast from the beginning i love I, it I really appreciate it. it means a lot to me so
1: thank you so much i love for being it here. thanks for having me i appreciate of it of
0: course